Hi, guys, and welcome to the IBS Freedom Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Amy Hollenkamp, and I'm Nikki Danessa. And today we're going to talk about, well, first of all, why we decided to make a podcast and what we think is going to be different from all the other gut health podcasts that are out in the world for you to consume. And then we're going to tell you a little bit about our practices and our stories and how we both overcame IBS. So hi, Amy. Nice to see you. Hey, Nikki. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, pretty rad. We're recording a podcast. I know. So, uh, let's start out with Amy. Tell me where you are, what you practice, what field you're in. Tell us a little bit about you know who you are, and then I will do the same, and then we'll get into talking about our stories a bit. Yes, that was a good intro. I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you kicked us off. Um, so my name's Amy Hollenkamp. I'm a registered dietitian and a health coach. Um, I'm currently in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, I see clients all over. Um, mainly, I focus a lot on SIBO, so small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, but also IBS. I, I see SIBO as a subset of IBS. So I definitely have made it my mission to help people with gut issues find relief, and that can be a, a struggle. So. That's kind of the gist of everything. I'm sure we'll get deeper as the podcast goes on. Oh, yeah. And you got into this field in a similar way that I did because you had gut issues yourself. Am I right? Yeah, 100%. And um, I'm sure like with this podcast, we'll, this first podcast, we're going to talk all about that. Should we just dive into it now? Yeah, I mean, we can. I would say I've followed your stuff for quite a while. I, I came across your website, The SIBO Diaries, which was just such a great name. And I think at the time when I first found your stuff, you maybe were still kind of on the tail end of your SIBO healing journey. I, that was my impression of it. Um, and you just create great content. And I followed you ever since. So I know just from our talking up until this point and by following you as a fan for a while that you've had SIBO, thus the name The SIBO Diaries. And there was a struggle there and there was some, you know, restricted eating and low FODMAP and feeling really stuck. And I think you worked with somebody in the field of functional medicine, if I'm correct. And that's kind of the gist of what I know of it. So tell us a little bit, you know, when, when did your gut issues start? What was the genesis of it? I know you worked with some people and then you ultimately found this path that, that got you to be to the place you're at today. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to just kind of jump in. If you have any questions, definitely let yeah. me know as as I'm rolling through it. Yeah, so really a lot of my gut issues, I tend to pinpoint it to when I had mono really bad in college. Mm -hmm. Tended to be a big jumping point for me in terms of my gut issues. That was when I was around 20. Um, so like sophomore, freshman or sophomore year of college is when I had mono. Um, but I had it. It was a horrible case. It like went on for months and months. My tonsils got huge, had to have my tonsils removed. So it was just a, a pretty traumatic event. And my gut was always a little bit off from then on, but it was it wasn't anything disruptive of my life. I could still eat what I wanted to eat. I might have more stomach issues in general, but it wasn't anything terrible. But that's when I sort of noticed my gut issues and the IBS symptoms start coming up from nowhere so hmm. um and then I went to grad school to become a marketer so this wasn't my original trajectory um and yeah and while I was in school to become a marketer if things ramped up again I think grad school's pretty stressful so I had a lot of stress going on and um I think at the time I was also doing a lot of pretty hard workouts that were probably contributing. I just had a lot of stressors from a lot of different angles. Mm. Um, and my gut issues started to get progressively worse from that time. Then when I graduated grad school, I basically moved, got a new job. Um, and I think those two things really were like the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, when mm. it came to gut issues. It just, things really took off from there. Um, it was to the point where I was having pain after every meal. Um, mm. And I was just pretty miserable. Um, so I think like everyone does, or at 
least I think like most people do. I went to my GI doc, took yeah. forever to get in. You know, you, you're waiting like three months to, to get the appointment. Um, mm. And I went there and they're like, we're going to run all the tests. We're going to figure this out, like kind of pretty confident. So you're like, okay, like this sounds pretty promising. Yeah. So they run the, they do a, I believe they did an endoscopy um, and they did a small bowel follow through, which is essentially like you drink Mm. barium. They were trying to use that to see if I had Crohn's. So they were ruling out like things like Crohn's. Um, They were ruling out things like celiac disease. And basically all my tests came back normal, which is Mm -hmm. like... Exactly, which is the typical story that I hear from like all my clients, like not getting much help from the traditional GI trap, the GI doc. And so when everything came back normal, it's like, okay, here's your IBS diagnosis. And you're like, wow, thanks. That's not helpful. So I could have told you my gut is irritable. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. You're labeling what I already know. Um, So with that diagnosis i was an analyst at the time so i was like a marketing analyst my whole job was like to break down pretty complex problems that my company Hmm. that my company was in so like for me just my mindset wasn't really accepting of the ibs diagnosis really early on so like really early on i was like this can't be right like there has to be something deeper that i'm not seeing And that's really what led me to the functional medicine space because it, it, it promotes, you know, the root causal approach. Um, so (laughs) that's what, what attracted me. It really meshed with my mindset just in general as an analyst. Um, so I went, I think it was like in, it was in December. I'm trying to think of what year. It's probably like 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. I went to my first functional medicine doc. Um, they, so when I went there, pretty early on, they thought that I had SIBO. So um, they ran the test. They ran some stool tests. Um, and I was positive for methane SIBO. My levels weren't horrible. Um, they were kind of mild SIBO, I would say, in terms okay. of a in terms of the testing. Um, they would have been considered mild at the time, but I was really symptomatic at that point. I was sort of losing weight, mm-hmm. um, and basically the the solution that the functional doc said was like, all you have to do is go on this like crazy restrictive diet. Um, we're going to try herbals, but you might need an antibiotic, um, to really push the needle. So I was like, okay, like I'll, I'll go gung ho towards this. And I think for me, like I've always had a mentality where I like pretty much go really hard at things. Like I've come from an, um, an an athlete's mentality, I feel like. So I played a lot of sports growing up. Go big or go home. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm definitely like a commit wholeheartedly to something, um, which I think in this case wasn't great for me. Um, But because I went on this very restrictive diet, they actually wrote out like a meal plan for me. Um, But it was pretty horrible. I, you know, lost a whole bunch of weight. Um, my thyroid levels started to drop, like hormonally things mm. were going crazy after I started these restrictive diets. And um, you had said you were already losing weight prior to yeah. seeing them, right? So then yeah. that's not yeah. the direction you want to go. It, exactly. So, you know, and it was, what was really frustrating to me was that, you know, I'd go to the doc and be like, I'm losing weight. I'm, I'm like not feeling any better. And he's like, well, like we just got to stay this route. Like there was no real adjustments that, that were made, which was frustrating. And I think is what I see a lot working with clients now. It's like, there's, there's the, there's the model now, or like the cookie cutter model for SIBO tends to be like, okay, go this restrictive diet route um, do herbals, maybe we'll do antibiotics, but it just, again, was not working and my health was really deteriorating. So 
when your health starts deteriorating, I've found that you can make terrible decisions um, as well. Like you're not really thinking clearly, you're desperate almost. Um, So, I mean, at this point, I've sort of done maybe like five or six weeks of herbals. I've been on the diet maybe two to three months, losing weight, hormones going bonkers. Um, And my doc was like, I think we just need to do like a hard punch with antibiotics. And I'm like, okay, like I'm pretty miserable. I can't imagine it getting much worse. Oh God, the fact that you said that is telling. Continue. Yeah, exactly. So I... (laughs) The, the unfortunate thing is back in the day, and I think there's still some of this that happens with SIBO, um, where it's hard to get rifaximin covered by your insurance. Mm. Uh, it's definitely, I think, still a problem. But back in the day, like 2015, like it was really hard to get covered by your insurance. Mm-hmm. So my functional practitioner was actually working with my primary care physician, which was kind of interesting that they were collaborating. Um, but basically the antibiotic that my primary care prescribed was Cipro, which is like a very intense antibiotic that I, yeah, I would not recommend someone with SIBO take Cipro. I'd highly, I'd highly recommend people do not do this, um, from a SIBO standpoint. But anyway, I was desperate. I'm like, okay, I'll just take this Cipro. And like, in my functional doc was like, you'll feel so much better after you have the Cipro. Like, was really hyping it up. So like, I'm like, fine, I'll do the Cipro. I think I did Cipro and Flagyl. Um, So there was Flagyl mixed in there too. And when I took that, oh my gosh, I was horrendous after that. Um, Started having a lot of symptoms of fungal issues Mm. cropping up. Um, I thought and, you said again, cropping up for a second there. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess that like too. that's also <laughs> okay. Yeah, th- this fungal issues. Yeah, this fungal issues cropping up. You know, um, but it was just awful. I was. I feel like that set me back honestly, like a year. If I'm being really transparent, that was horrendous. I was already really depleted, and that somehow just really messed me up, knocked my gut completely out of whack. So after that, I feel like there was like a level of mourning, like, oh my gosh. I think that was the moment where you kind of get to a point where you're like, okay, there's really no like quick, to me, that was the the moment where I realized there's no quick fix. I don't think this is going to be something that I'm just going to take something and feel miraculously better. I think there's the cases that I hear, you know, they take rifaximin or they take herbals and they're like, oh man, I feel amazing. Um, I was definitely not that. Um, I didn't ever really feel great on the herbals or on antibiotics. Um, Maybe some slight decrease on the herbals, but... So so after that... was not the only answer for you, at least. No, not at all. Um, So kind of at that point... I was getting pretty frustrated with my practitioner because at that point I was, I probably had lost like in total, like 25 to 30 pounds, which like I tend to consider myself a bit more of a stocky build. Like I'm a muscular build. So like everyone that knew me thought I was like incredibly sick. Like it was very noticeable, which I think does some interesting stuff to your psyche as well. When like, everyone can look at you and know you're sick that's when like I feel like it really I think it hits you that you're not doing really well and I think it's hard to overcome because every conversation then becomes around like what how you're doing poorly essentially it was just a really hard time to move through um so at that point I was like, I need to do something different. I was kind of talking to my parents about it, too, because they were really concerned about me. Um, And I was like, I think I'm just going to try to go to another practitioner. Um, So luckily, I found another functional practitioner in my area. And I had a really good initial meeting with her. And really, I'm very grateful for her because she just took one look at me and sort of reviewed my case and was like, we need to reintroduce foods. Like we need to get, 
broaden up your diet. We need to yeah. make sure that you're nourished because like no- nothing's going to get better if you're not nourished. Absolutely. Um, which I feel like was the permission I needed to get off the diet. Yeah. Um, so definitely started expanding my diet probably over the course of like a year working with her. We tried some different things. We actually tried some fungal protocols because mm-hmm. after that CPRO, I had such a such a strong fungal reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did some stuff for the fungal issues. Um, but over that like next year or so of working with her, it was almost about putting weight back on really. Yeah. Um, and getting things back back in order. Um, but I still think there was a level of food fear even through that time. So, like, I was willing to, you know, add in paleo sources of, of okay. different foods, like paleo FODMAPs. Or, like, yeah. I was willing to go off low FODMAP, but then I still had some arbitrary rules around what I was eating that I don't think were very healthy. But I was yeah. able to gain the weight. So I, I do think that I was able to nourish my body. I think there were th- some things that helped my digestion through that time that I was also doing some supplements um, that helped me absorb food, but really through that time it was it was really focused on rebuilding what I had lost. Yeah, and then so I probably worked for her with her for like a year and and such before I started really considering FMT. Um, so fecal microbiota transplantation. Yeah. Um, I feel like I never, and I always tell people this cause I get tons of questions about fecal microbiota transplants from everybody and their brother who wants to know a little bit about it. Um, for me, I never really tried some of the things that I feel like I should have tried before I did FMT. So I never really did like I never really focused on repairing and rebuilding my gut by Mm. maybe trying to really diversify my diet or really bumping up prebiotics or trying different approaches. Mm. I I don't think I exhausted all options before I did FMT. And usually I try to tell people who ask me about FMT, I will encourage them to try try all the alternative um, ways and make sure you're playing... Uh, all your you're basically utilizing your whole playbook before doing FMT because it is expensive it's not guaranteed um, so I I certainly got relief from from FMT so I want to say that like right out the gate I think it helped reduce my symptoms probably about 50 to 60 percent pretty damn good um yeah which was really helpful at like accelerating my progress because it allowed me to focus on other things Um, but I've have seen like the opposite happen or like people not get any relief. So I really like it and I think it can be an option, but I'd sort of try to utilize it in, at a, in a way that makes sense and not sort of jump on it as like a miracle cure. Yeah. Uh, It's not a silver bullet, but it's a tool in the toolkit if you need it. Yeah. 100%. And, um, I just, I wouldn't want someone to put like all of their eggs in that basket because it is really expensive without trying other things. Um, most of the time when I talk to people about FMT, they haven't really tried some of the other strategies Mm -hmm. that I feel like they should before trying FMT. Yeah. Um, but I did FMT in the Bahamas, which was fun. I was going to ask if you (laughs) had to go out of the country. I kind of assumed so. Yeah. So you have to go out of the country because I wasn't going to do like a backdoor poop transplant. <laughs> um, and I I trusted the clinic that I had it done at. The clinic's called the Taymount Clinic. Um, they're based out of the UK, but they have an affiliate branch in the Bahamas. Hmm. So they are two different companies, but they get trained by the Taymount. Hmm. All the Bahamas people get their stool from the Taymount. Like it's, they're pretty heavily associated so I went to the Bahamas for my poop transplant, um, came home. Again, symptoms started to get better, but I still had a lot that I had to work on. Um, 
I think for me, again, it came down to really doing a lot of repair from a brain gut axis standpoint, doing a lot of repair from a hormonal standpoint. I mean, I had been through, I feel like, some crazy hormonal things through that period of time. My thyroid was always low. Um, My cortisol was always off. My pattern was always off. Um, So... For me, it really came down to trying to be consistent with strategies like meditation, Mm. um, trying to be, trying to do things for the brain gut access. So I really focused in on like a lot of the repair and rebuilding. I also felt like after the FMT, I tackled a lot of the food fear stuff. I I think I overcame it to a much larger extent. The... The tame out is pretty good because they do encourage you to eat variety. You're getting that new, those new microbes in. So, I mean, they give you like even a chart that is like, try to eat 50 foods. Um, So, yeah, they're very encouraging of trying to diversify. And I feel like you make a big investment to get this FMT. You, if, to me, I was like, okay, I have all these microbes in there. I have to take care of them. So it sort of pushed me in a way to expand my diet. Yeah, you've got to um, shepherd them. Yeah, for sure. So just over the next like year or so after the FMT, I was really working on that, really working on hormonal issues and really working on the brain-gut axis piece. And I think doing all those things at the same time really helped to bring everything together like there was a lot of pieces that I feel like I didn't give enough attention to Mm. and I find that a lot with my clients as well like so much of my energy especially at the beginning and even like kind of through the middle of my journey was focused on restriction pretty heavily that's where all my energy was going and also trying to figure out what supplements to take, doing heavy research. So yeah, like trying to fix a lot it, of, if you will. Yeah, a, exactly. A lot of my energy was being expended in, in areas that I think you should expend some energy in diet, but the amount of time and energy I was expending was wasteful, and I could have used that energy more productively in other areas uh, that would help my recovery. Yeah. So... Um, really diversifying the strategies of what I was doing to be more, more areas outside of just diet, like meditation, like movement, like, um, like vagal exercises, like, um, you know, even just connecting with my friends and family more outside of just researching all the time. So there's just a level of balance that I, I've seen work way better than just going to the extremes of certain areas of treatment. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious, at what point in this journey did you decide, screw this, I'm going to go to school and become a dietitian? I'm very curious (laughs) at what point you decided that you wanted to study nutrition in this capacity. Yeah, which I kind of glossed over. (laughs) That was going on. So kind of right as I switched to the new practitioner and she was like, expand your diet. I think through that time, I really developed a love of like the functional wellness space, like the Mm -hmm. functional medicine space drew me in because I was an analyst and I felt like I could use my analytical abilities in a better, yeah, exactly. In a much better way outside of just making my company money, I could use it in a way that could help people. Yeah. And I think with with the SIBO space and the IBS space, there's a lot going on. So it takes synthesizing a lot of information and pulling out the key insights for people. Yep. And so that's really what made me shift. I felt like I could use my, my abilities as an analytical thinker to, to help people. Um, and yeah, that was like sort of early on. And so I was in school during this time and I started my blog to, I'm trying to think exactly when I started it. It was my first year of undergrad, probably like four years ago, something around there. Um, 
so that was kind of in the midst of ever mm. the hot messness, <laughs> I would say. The best time um, to share your your experience with the world is when things are squirrely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I think because I'm an analytical thinker too, I felt like I was starting to see things that didn't make sense in the SIBO space, or just I started to recognize things with my own journey that I wanted to share. Mm-hmm. So that's really what started it. Um, was really just trying to have conversations and share things that I was learning through my own journey yeah. that I felt were important for other people to, to know and just talk about or have a discussion around. Um, I think that the SIBO space is, rel- I mean, it's relatively new. Yeah. And there's a lot, I feel like a lot, a lot of times there's so much certainty around what people should be doing and that's where it gets a bit dangerous because then people aren't willing to experiment with different things because what mm-hmm. works for one person isn't going to work for the next. Um, and I think that's kind of what I was trying to do with the blog is just trying to blow up that necessarily, oh, there's a one way to, to correct SIBO. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think where I left off. Yeah, sorry. So, I totally yeah, interrupted. I, I th- no, no worries. I'm I'm glad you did. Uh, I think that the last like year or two of my journey was kind of focused on hormonal stuff and getting getting hormonal things squared away. Hmm. Um, but I think as I did that and as I really started to work on like nervous system and hormonal repair, things got a lot better. Um, and it was a slow build, but today i mean i don't really have any gut issues unless i do something pretty out of the ordinary um which is which is great i eat a diverse diet i don't really worry about foods anymore um i don't worry about reactions so i can actually live my life and pursue my purpose which yeah, so it's it's all good. It was a long journey. I don't think I'd change it just because I learned so much going through it and I feel like I can use what I learned to help others. But I'm just happy that I'm that I'm here now and can can do this with you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're on the other side of it now. Yeah. And it, yeah, 100%. And it's interesting to speculate cuz I kind of look back at my health history too and I wonder you know, what if X, what if this was different? And I think yeah. about it and I'm like, yeah, and yet I would be a different person and I don't know if I would have, I would be here. So I have that thought sometimes too, is like, would I change anything even if I could? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big believer and it sounds a little corny that like you are where you're meant to be. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think everything happens for a reason. Um, to a large extent, and I think the same way. Yeah. So I think, again, like there's so much that having a chronic issue for a long period of time has taught me. Um, I think one thing in particular, especially just interacting with a lot of a lot of people my age, there's a lot that people focus on that really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Like I do think if you have a chronic issue, it helps you focus on the things that matter, especially on the other side. So I do think like we get caught up in, in things. I don't know with my friends, I was in my kind of early to mid twenties going through all of this. So like with boys and like, you know, going out and like, hitting the town with a lot of my friends just some of the stuff that they were worried about was like the least of my worry and I think now it still remains the same I'm sort of focusing on and prioritizing things that matter yeah that makes sense yeah yeah gives you that perspective what yeah for sure but I feel like I don't know much about your journey outside of I know you've had some gut issues so I'm really interested to hear how your journey went and what that looked yeah. like. Yeah, so pass pass the mic over. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's funny because a lot of mine, I can look back and speculate. And I, uh, well, I'll start with this. So I am a kid of the 1980s, and I was given truckloads of antibiotics. Just, uh, I remember virtually my whole childhood being on some sort of antibiotic. And I look back, and I was a C-section baby, and then I had chronic ear infections, and I was on an antibiotic, like, multiple times a year, every year, and I had ear surgeries, and they always give you antibiotics when you have surgery. And I look back, and I don't super remember my gut health back then, but my mom still recalls that I was always constipated, basically from, like, six months on chronically constipated and I don't necessarily remember that but I think part of it is we don't really talk about what normal is I'm really surprised and I bet you've seen this too where like somebody will tell me that they have one bowel movement a week and I'm like man that's rough and they're like well isn't that normal no it is not normal and like people don't talk about poop So we don't, a lot of us don't have a sense for what is normal until things really hit the fan. So I think I was constipated for basically my entire childhood and adolescence, and I just didn't know. And Mm. I remember, um, and you know, antibiotics scattered throughout. I was the ear infection kid, and then I turned into the sinusitis adult. And I would get three sinus infections every year. And every single time I would get antibiotics because that's what you do. Yeah. And I, I just look back and I cringe wondering what on earth I was doing to my gut. Um, I had Lyme disease when I was 14 and it was a bad enough case that they gave me PICLINE antibiotics. So tapped right into the vein with that one, baby. And uh, wow. six, six weeks of pretty high intensity stuff. And I'm thankful because I think it nuked the Borrelia bacteria i don't believe i have any chronic ramifications of the lyme disease Um, but it that probably was also a pretty big hit to my gut so i definitely am a candidate to look back and say i had some pretty solid dysbiosis and some degree of gut difficulties i think all my life um and yeah college i don't remember so much um i remember like i was a rower and we would have uh, erg tests where we would get on the rowing machines, the ergs, and we would race each other and like compete for the good seats. And I remember that I would always have like stress induced diarrhea right before. And it makes me look back at my gut brain axis and wonder how crispy my adrenals were at that time. And I just remember like, yeah, I would disappear. And my coaches would ask, where's Nikki? And my, my coxswain would say, Oh, she's in the bathroom. She'll be back. Don't worry. She's always back in time for the race. <laughs> and Yeah, so there was all sorts of weird stuff like that. And then um, I went to chiropractic school because, oh, side note, I'm a chiropractor and a nutritional therapy practitioner. I didn't say that. Um, I went to chiropractic school largely because I had chronic low back pain and Mm. nobody could figure it out. I went to multiple chiropractors. I got acupuncture. I did yoga. I strengthened my glutes. I strengthened my core. I have a bachelor's degree in exercise science for crying out loud. Could not figure it out. And I finally was like, you know what? I like anatomy. I like physiology. I could dig the spine. Why the heck not? If nobody else could figure me out, I'm going to figure me out. So I went to chiropractic school and I joke that my best friend slash roommate and I were seminar junkies. So we would go Mm. literally every single weekend, we would go to a seminar and we lived in LA. So we could go to San Diego, LA, like Phoenix, wherever it was, there was a nice hub where we could keep ourselves occupied every weekend. So it also makes me think of my adrenals because I probably burnt them to a crisp because <laughs> I never had a weekend in three and a half years yeah. of grad school. But um, one of the ones that I got into really early on, like my third trimester, I think, of school, was Datis Karazian talking about the thyroid. And mm-hmm. I went there and I thought, this is going to be boring. He's talking about the thyroid for two hours that little piddly gland, and then the thing blew my mind. And I remember yeah. looking at Mamie and saying, it's like he met my mom, because my mom had been on Synthroid for 25 years. And the doctor said, your TSH is good. You're good. But she was still constipated and brain foggy and fatigued and couldn't lose weight. 
and she still had all these symptoms. And basically that kind of holy crap seminar for me got me into the functional medicine space where then I was like, I'm hooked. I need to do all of this. And I took, I took a turn with my, you know, my future practice. I decided I'm not going to do like the physical medicine stuff nearly as much. I'm going to be the chiropractor who does all the hippy dippy healing stuff. And I'm going to do functional medicine. And I joke at some point in that sort of training, you start to wonder about things like gluten and dairy. And you get a little bit paranoid just because everybody's talking about the evils of gluten and dairy. And it makes you sit in the audience and go, I wonder if I've got an issue with one of those foods. And I thought, well, what the heck? I've got stuff going on. Maybe that's a thing for me. I still had the back pain at this point. Uh, Cut to, I did an elimination diet. Didn't notice a tremendous difference. We could do a podcast on that a little bit down the road and why that was. I did some testing and I figured out, surprise, I'm a celiac. I had the transglutaminase antibodies and a heck of a reaction to gluten on paper and dairy and also sesame. And Mm. I joke, I'm a recovered vegetarian. So I ate store-bought hummus with tahini paste every day of my life for years. And for me, when I cut out just gluten and dairy and like soy and corn, nothing really happened. When I cut out the third food, so I cut out specifically gluten, dairy, and sesame, and that's where the cool stuff happened. It was like there was still that inflammation from my eating and over-consuming the sesame. And for me, it was just enough to keep that that inflammation going. So then it was Mm -hmm. at that point that my chronic low back pain of five years went away. And to this day, if I get exposed to gluten, even if my gut doesn't react, my low back will tell me. Like that day or the following day, my back will hurt. And this is 10 years later. So I basically, and I started, you know, working toward that. um, And I, I don't remember when exactly it happened or where the transition was. But at some point in grad school, I think the stress really started to fry me. Because I just remember at some point in and amongst all of this, I started having a lot of bloating and chronic loose stools. And I, you know, you go to these classes and you think, I have leaky gut. And I would take Repairvite, like a leaky gut healer upper. And I would feel better, but then I would go off the Repairvite and it would come back. It's like, okay. So I would do more Repairvite and I would feel better. And then it would come back. And I'm so embarrassed to say this, but it was a good, valuable learning lesson. I repaired my leaky gut for two years on and off. And I just thought, whoa, I've got a really bad leaky gut, guys. Yeah, dang. I was, I got to a point where everything caused bloating. I remember like I ate white rice plain with nothing on it and I bloated. And I would like drink water and I would bloat. I was like, okay, something's going on. What's happening? And I cut out, you know, I went paleo and cut out all grains. I basically did AIP before it was called AIP and cut out anything potentially allergenic. Um, I started to wonder, you know, maybe there's like another culprit food out there, like that food fear setting in. Um, I remember asking a colleague who had his license, but I did not. And he had a Genova account. And I remember asking him like, will you order me the 99, you know, food, food sensitivity panel? Because there's, there's got to be like one, one food, like one silver bullet food that I'm reactive to and I'm just oblivious. And if I could just cut out blueberries or whatever it might be, that's going to be the ticket. And nothing really came of that. Um, And I look back now and I think, gosh, a lot of my symptoms sound mighty like SIBO. Um, I didn't know SIBO was a thing because this was like, you know, 2010, 2011, somewhere in that range. So I didn't know what SIBO was. They didn't teach it to us in class at that point. So I didn't think to do anything about that. I just healed my leaky gut for two years. And I was kind of becoming that friend in my friend group and my class where it's like, you know, oh, should we invite Nikki to the such and such? Uh, I don't know. Like she's she's got that impossible diet. I don't know if she'll be able to eat anything <laughs> or like yeah. it. And it was just so frustrating. And yeah, finally, the turning point for me was when I graduated from school. And I think a lot of that was just the stress being alleviated. 
and not being I mean I had new stress but it was a different kind of stress because then I had to practice but the uh, alleviation of the stress was big but I also just decided the heck with this I'm tired of guessing and stabbing in the dark I'm gonna chalk up the money you know a couple hundred bucks or whatever and I'm gonna do some testing and I did a stool test I think it was Genova back in the day and I had not one but two parasites candida overgrowth and H. pylori I was like, mm. okay, that explains a lot. <laughs> so let's yeah. treat that. And I did, you know, basically a combo blend of herbs. And between that and healing the leaky gut and broadening out my diet quite a bit and the stress reduction, like a lot of dominoes fell into place. And I think it, it was all kind of, yeah, the perfect storm of like grad school and, and, I don't know. I don't know if it was purely stress. I also will disclose part of my story. Um, I had a really bad concussion my freshman year of college. Mm, and wow. now I realize that when you whack your head or get a concussion or whiplash, you get a leaky blood brain barrier. And then that mm-hmm. communicates with the gut. And then that incites a leaky gut. And what's curious is that I got that concussion in May of my freshman year. And by sophomore fall, like September, a couple months later, that's when the low back pain started. The low back pain that is very responsive to being gluten-free and healing my gut. And the way I got the concussion is embarrassing to say, but I, again, I was a rower. And uh, my friend and I brought water bottles. We were practicing in, in New York. I went to school in Buffalo. And we downed our water like within minutes of launching the boat and going to practice. And we got really thirsty. And the two of us knuckleheads drank creek water, which was probably a horrible, horrible mistake. Is that where you got the parasites? I feel like it was. <laughs> yeah. And I still remember, <sighs> God, we, the, the way, and Jill will, will die when uh, I'll send her this podcast episode, but I still remember we were thinking about it. All of our, cl- all of our, crewmates were like don't do it and and somebody said do you know how dirty that water is and jill goes and this will echo in my brain until the day i die it's a natural kind of dirty (laughs) i was like okay so we filled up our nalgenes full of bpa and swig down that creek water and we got very very sick she got sick and managed to stay upright i got sick vomited so much that then i passed out and that's how i hit my head so I had the double whammy of, I had already a pretty compromised microbiome. I would be willing to bet solid money on that and a lifetime's worth of dysbiosis. Then I whacked my head and adjusted a parasite and God knows what all in one shebang. And then two months later, three months later, my body was like enough. This is madness. And I didn't actually diagnose the parasites which I hypothesized that I picked up then until yeah. years later. Um, well, PS, PSA, do not drink creek water. <laughs> I'll make a thumbnail. I'll make like an Instagram image for that. PSA, don't drink yeah. creek water. And I look back to it. Here's an embarrassing thing, too. Um, my mom, when she found out and found out I got sick, she told me, you need to go to the doctor and get a stool test. Wow. Did I listen? No. Because I thought, I recovered. I'm good. And I'm like, I'm a good kid. I listen to my mom. I'm not like a rebellious child. But I was just like, I'm fine now. Like, my gut is normal again. So I thought, like, I don't have diarrhea or anything. I'm good. I don't need a stool test. Lord only knows what I was carting around for all of those years. And I still remember when, and the kicker is after I hit my head, we had to go to a race. Like, that was like the the morning of the trip for our biggest race of the year and I still remember uh my my friend got me to the bus to leave for Philadelphia and I remember when the coaches found out what happened there was no conversation of like oh you hit your head you could actually die if if it was bad enough like I'm six feet tall so I fell six feet and hit my head yeah there was no conversation of like you might have a hematoma and you should get checked out nope get your ass in the bus get to Philly yeah. And I remember my, my, the head coach was this old guy 
And I remember every time Jill and I woke up from our nap, we were right in the front of the bus behind the coach and we would nap. And then he, every time we woke up, he would give us like pink lemonade and Zantac. And he had us popping Zantac for like the entire bus ride to Philadelphia. And now I look back to it. I'm like, sugar and suppressing my stomach acid on top of parasites, on top of head trauma. Oh, good Lord. So, man, it was the creek water incident of 2000. Was it 2008 or something? Yeah, 2004. May 2004. I'll never forget it. Um, Wow. Yeah. So, PSA don't drink creek water. As a side note, we won our race. So, maybe the bugs were good luck. I don't know. Yeah, that's good. They propelled um, you in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, to kind of segue back into more current day stuff. Again, I look back and I'm like, what if I hadn't drank that stupid creek water? And yeah, I think I I don't think I would be where I am today. I don't know yeah. if I would have gotten into functional medicine and had the opportunities to help people like I have. So nobody in their right mind would look and say, like, I'm glad I got that severe case of Lyme disease or I'm glad I yeah. hit my head. But there's like some some element of like it, it all kind of worked out and got me here. Um, yeah for sure and now I just live my life trying to feed my microbiome and keep my diversity as high as it can possibly be considering I've had like 87 humans worth of antibiotics in my lifetime (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I totally I totally get that I was definitely a there were a couple things I wanted to touch on from your story so I was definitely like I think being a 90s kid too I was just loaded up with antibiotics as well. Yeah. I remember like specifically loving the taste of the, it was like bubble gum. Mm-hmm. Did you have bubble gum flavored? I don't know if I ever what got is that because I'm allergic to penicillin and I think it was the pink penicillin that they made bubble gum flavor. I don't remember what I used uh, to you take. You missed out. Man. You, you, you missed out on that great tasting antibiotic. I'm pretty sure mine was always grape flavor and I loathe. I absolutely despise. Oh, no. The taste of anything that's artificially flavored to be grape or watermelon. Like it's just, oh wow, it's just similar enough, but it's so different that I cannot. Oh. And maybe it's like PTSD from deal. all of the antibiotics and surgeries I had as yeah, a kid. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe I'm. Yeah, I think. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think a, a couple other th- things that I thought were interesting about, about, and similarities between our two cases. I think, again, the main thing that I'm seeing, too, is a level of going down the food rabbit hole initially. Like, oh, it must be a food issue, and I need to just figure out what food I need to take out. Yeah, I need to find it, fix it. Yeah, and the mindset, that mindset's so common and and so destructive, because it isn't a food problem. It's so much deeper than that. That's That's just the tip of the iceberg if you're having a food reaction you have to dig deeper yeah um and then the other interesting aspect of your case that sim- is very similar and i think similar to a lot of people is the stress angle which again was totally there for me as well and i i talk all the time with my clients that culturally we are almost numb to stress like oh, we yeah. we we value it like we kind if oh, you're yeah. Giving, you're supposed to give a hundred. Yeah, you're supposed to give a hundred and ten percent. Like, does that really make sense? So, yeah. this the stress angle. I almost think the stress angle's there in almost every single case in some form oh, or another. I completely agree. And sorry, I might have cut you off, but I tell every single one of my patients, if you're alive in 2020, I mean, obviously 2020, <laughs> but if you're alive in this day and age, you have stress. Whether you are yeah. consciously aware of it or if you're just like bottling it up and shoving it down somewhere deep yeah. inside, you have stress. And it's just the people who self-assess, yes, I am stressed, they're really stressed. And that's like ultimate dysfunction. But if you're breathing, you have stress. I guarantee it. Especially if you live in the yeah. developed world in like America, where like you said, it's like a badge of honor. Like Yeah. I'm so busy. I'm an overachiever. Or like, what is that? uh, The cliche interview question where it's like, what is your weakness? I try too hard. Or like, or no, I care too much. It's like, oh, shut up. 
<laughs> Stop it. Well, and I, I do think that um, another thing that was interesting too, and I don't know, it sounds like you were sort of into, into intense sports like I was. I always wonder too, like back, I ran cross country. So similar to like you having like pre-race diarrhea, I definitely had pre-race diarrhea in cross country. Like, mm. um, and that's just kind of like a part of running. There's even like a term, the runner's trots yeah. to like yeah. talk about like runner's diarrhea. I think that like, because some of the athletic things I was doing in high school, I think it put a lot of stress on my body and I had no breaks like throughout that period of time. Yeah. Like I almost think a lot of like, I had some symptoms of things like thyroid issues. Like I was always super cold. Mm. Um, I don't think it was anything super severe at that point, but I always am interested when there's like a component of like a highly active individual yeah. in gut health. So if you're kind of working out in at the college level rowing, you know, three hours a day, four hours a day, whatever it is, like, oh yeah, it, that's so hard on your body and can play a role in gut stuff too. Oh yeah, my adrenals were fried to a crisp by that point. Yeah. If nothing else, I am not a morning person, and I had to wake up at four fifty-five a.m. for four years of my life. That oh alone, my god, because you had to be to the boathouse by five thirty and ready to go, and <sighs> that alone was like, how did I get into such a sport? I love it. I adore yeah. it. But yeah, the mornings. Oh. Yeah. I remember our cross country, I think, was like 7 a.m. I didn't run my senior year, I think, because mm. I didn't want to get up. So we're alike in that way, too, where I was yeah. definitely more of a night owl. Yeah. Yeah. And we could talk about that would be a great topic for a future podcast, too, as we wrap up here is uh, the circadian rhythm and how it influences the gut. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's been something that I've talked to a lot of my patients uh, about and yeah. it's been also really impactful and helpful so I wonder if nothing else god like college I remember freshman year as an example um, I had to get up early but I also wanted to have a college life and not like in the drinking way I was morbider than that I was in the anime club and oh wow I kid you not I would stay up I would like go to the anime club meetings stay up until midnight and then go back to my dorm sleep for four or five hours and then have to go to practice and oh my god I remember distinctly I forget if it was it must have been the spring semester I remember all of us would go to practice and then a big group of us of the freshmen are from our boat we didn't have an 8 a.m class so we would go eat together at the dining hall like after practice at like 8 a.m and I remember one time I was walking from my room where I, you know, I dropped off all my crap from practice and I was walking from my room to the dining hall and I had the serious thought cross my brain of like, you know, I wonder if I just like curled up in a ball and like if I could lay here in the hallway, in the actual yeah. hallway. Like I just, I wonder if I could just lay here and rest my eyes for like five minutes. I seriously yeah. thought that. And that I kind of snapped out of it and I realized that's way dysfunctional. You're ultra sleep deprived. If you're literally thinking about sleeping in the hallway, like right outside the busy, you know, cafeteria or whatever for your dorm, you're probably really, really sleep deprived. So I think that was the point where I kind of cooled it and I didn't go to the anime club nearly as often. And I kind yeah. of kept that. You, you had sort of a different... I feel like in my college, I definitely hit the booze. I hit the sauce hard. <laughs> and I... So instead of drinking too much creek water and maybe being <laughs> being out of sorts, I was definitely... I'm, like, surprised I survived some of the things I did in college. But here we are now, so... Yeah, hey, we're doing a podcast, so... You know, it's. uh, I think it's important to acknowledge that neither of us are perfect. We will never be perfect. You know, we still probably have some degree of problems that we deal with and some crap in our heads that we're untangling. So as we talk about stress and the gut-brain axis and nutrition, like, I don't want the viewers to be sitting at home and thinking like, oh, they eat only vegetables and like yeah. they meditate for 10 hours a day and they have zero stress. That's <laughs> totally not true. We're not perfect. We are human and yeah. we're figuring this shit out just like you all. 
But that's what we're going to talk about in this podcast is what bits are important and what should you emphasize and what what tools should you have in your toolbox to manage or treat your IBS? Because it can be done. Both of us are living proof of that. And I mean, I wouldn't consider myself having IBS anymore. Um, I don't know about you. And I, I actually did a SIBO breath test not all that long ago just for my YouTube channel. And I don't have SIBO. So... Yeah, awesome. You know, I think uh, miraculous recoveries are yeah. are possible, even if you drink creek water <laughs> or yeah, <laughs> you know, hit whatever sauce calls to you. Yeah, for sure. All right. No, I agree. I think I think that there's a lot there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of focus on things that are not helpful. So the more that we can help shed light on the things that actually matter and that if you put the time and energy in and consistently do so, you're going to see results. That That's what I want to focus in on is, again, getting through mm-hmm. a lot of the bullshit to the actual to the actual stuff that matters, similar to what you're saying. Yeah. There's just so much confusion, so much noise. Yeah. And we're not perfect. I mean, I think for me, I definitely tend to be wired my natural wiring is to be more fight or flight, definitely thrive on like adrenaline and procrastination. Like I definitely have that piece to me that I sort of work through every day. So you're totally yeah. right. We're, we're definitely not advocating that we are going to be standing over you, telling you that what to do because we're perfect. That's not the case at all. We're, yeah. Or we're, even because we have credentials, like just, yeah. just because we have degrees and licenses, it's like, you know, we're, we're two humans with opinions and we could base that off of a lot of clinical experience and, you know, reading PubMed articles and, and using our noodle. But yeah, you know, there's gotta be some piece of your brain that's willing to be flexible and, and like do a little bit of trial and error and just figure out what works for you. Cause there's a lot about the human body that we just don't know. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. This like, the IBS and SIBO space is constantly evolving. <laughs> so, I mean, I even think about like what's been discovered in the last 10 years is like insane Huge. from a, a research perspective. Oh, yeah. So I think as practitioners, like there's always a level of learning. We're, al- we're always having to adapt to new thinking, new ideas, and we can't get totally stuck in one way of thinking as new information comes in. Yeah. So that's definitely something that we can discuss here too, like the newer research, how that changes things, maybe it yeah. reaffirms certain mm. things, uh, but it's definitely important to sort of stay engaged on all the changing aspects of the gut health space. Yeah. Well, or employ somebody on your healthcare team who is like you as the individual, <laughs> yeah. like I, I'm not saying that the individual viewer for this podcast has to go and like, yeah. you know hit the the Google Scholar notifications and keep up with every SIBO article. But hopefully if you're struggling, you have somebody on your team who is doing that on your behalf and can help assimilate that information and help you with it. And is just keeping keeping abreast of that. Um, But I think this is a good place probably to wrap up the first episode. And then we, uh, we can obviously cover all of this in depth. I want to do several episodes on what I jokingly call crispy adrenal syndrome and the gut brain axis and the vagus nerve and fight or flight versus parasympathetic and motility. We have so much to cover in this podcast and I am just so excited to be able to talk about it with somebody who I really, really respect highly. And I think that you and I are uh, very much on the same page and I hope that this podcast is valuable and helpful for our viewers. Um, Yeah. Do you have anything else to add? Yeah, no, I think I 100% agree with you. I concur. There, I, I'm hoping that we can give some practical tips throughout this podcast, help people stay informed. Uh, and I, I think that we make a really good team in terms of how we're, I think we are really aligned, but I also think we're learning and we'll learn from each other through this podcast oh, yeah. too. So I think it's going to be great when we'll, We'll definitely have to keep keep on going with it. Yep, I'm excited. 
Well, hey, everybody. So that is a wrap for episode number one. If you could go ahead and rate us on whatever podcasting app you use, if you're on Spotify or iTunes or what have you, go ahead and rate this podcast. That does help us reach more people. And that if you are viewing us on YouTube, hello to YouTube. If you could go ahead and like the video, subscribe to the channel, ring the bell, and we will include links in the description down below for both Amy's website, my website, and you can follow us on you know, Instagram and social media and that whole kit and caboodle. So if you could do those things, that would be wonderful. And we will see you in the next podcast.